Good morning. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. We will focus on the light of peace. The reading today is from Psalm 85, 1 and 2, and Psalm 85, 8 through 13. Your Lord showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the inequity of your people and covered all their sins. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the, from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. The main point of the message is that God's love comforts and restores his people, leading us to a place of safety and rest. This is found in his work on our behalf, the cross. Only embracing Christ's work will bring the peace we deeply need and desire. The application point is that we need to be confident that God's love holds nothing back, including including his restorative forgiveness and care for us. Great job, Allie and Tamara. Well, good morning. I'm Matthew Lee, pastor here, and I want to say Merry Christmas to you. Um, it is. Uh, it seems that time of year is rapidly approaching. We have 15 days, if you're not ready. Um, it's time to get ready. Um uh, it seems to me about this time of year, Christmas can bring about two different responses. There can still be this uh, excitement, uh, this, uh, this idea of wonder, and, and uh, the idea of Christmas still lingering around, and uh, Mary and Joseph and, and the shepherds and baby and the manger, all of it can just be so exciting. And then there can also be um, sometimes this other response that can creep in and kind of settle in, and it's this like, oh, here we go again. The familiar season of Christmas. I've heard this. I've done it before. And I just want to caution us in that. Uh, because familiarity has a potential to do bad things to us. Uh, we often become familiar with things. And then the result is, is that we take them for granted. Or we become desensitized. Or we lose our wonder of it. Or we're familiar with things that we tend to need uh, uh, examining them even more. We're familiar with things and we quit noticing things. It, it's kind of like you think your house is clean until you have visitors coming. <laughs> then you really start to pay attention. And maybe this time of year, visitors are coming, needs to kind of resurface in our minds. Because here's the truth. Paul Tripp said this, familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. And here's what's important about this, is that what has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. Think about that. What captures the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. And so uh, just again, as a prayer, uh, as a thought for you, maybe your family, is to ask God to recapture the wonder of the season. Uh, one, don't let it get too busy, and two, don't let it get too familiar. But allow the wonder of Jesus being born to grip our hearts again. Uh, one author describes it this way. I, I want to invite you to kneel down by the manger. 
But to put yourself in the story again and again and again and let the story of the gospel of Jesus coming to earth grab your awe and wonder because I'm convinced Paul Tripp is right. It will change the way we live. So to help with that uh, and kind of fight against that familiarity, that's why we have the, de- the devotionals, uh, the Advent devotionals. Grab one of these, pick one of these up, share it with a friend, go over it with your family. Uh, just reimagine and get there again in the story of Christmas. Most of, us, for, you know, most of us, Christmas is this wonderful time, but it can also be a really hectic time, a really busy time with parties and gifts and, and searching out with different... Anybody busy? Yeah, and in the busyness of the season, what can happen is that this, uh, this idea of tranquil enjoyment of Christmas can get lost. And so I want to remind us this morning of this powerful but very common word in the Christmas story. It's a word that's been used over 400 times in the Old and New Testaments. It's this idea and this word, peace. Peace. Now, there are some things in life that are abstract, meaning that there's like metaphors and thoughts and and ideas that are out there. And and then there's some things that are tangible. There's abstract and tangible. And I believe Scripture points to peace being both. That there's this wonder and this idea that God gives us of peace being made available and the embracing of it and living it out and experiencing both. But many times when I talk about peace... Uh, we begin trying to get our minds around it by trying to define it. I asked a couple groups I meet with this week, how would you define peace? And I get all kinds of different answers. What's a comparable word for peace? Uh, maybe an answer to how to define peace comes from how do you, what's the opposite of peace? Who gives peace? How is peace maintained or how does it sustain? Where does it reside? Today I want to talk about all these different thoughts about peace, about the peace of Jesus, how I can have it, how I can live it out, how I can even sometimes feel like it goes missing, and maybe even how I can give it away. One author said this, God said we can have peace, Jesus confirmed it, and the Holy Spirit preserves it. There's no doubt that peace is powerful both in its presence, but you've also felt the power of peace in its absence. And this morning, we're going to talk about peace. Remember last week, we talked about hope and Isaiah foretelling about the hope that was to come. Isaiah also prophesied about peace, and peace is a person. He is the Prince of Peace. Of course, we know him as Jesus. So before we go any further this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what Tamara and Allie read for us earlier. We thank you for the promise, the power, and the person of peace, which is Jesus. And God, this morning, uh, some of us come with excitement and readiness to hear. Some of us come with a familiar response Some of us come tired because we're busy. And so, God, I pray in all the different needs that you see in your people this morning that you would find us ready to receive all that we need to receive from you by your Spirit. That we receive it in our minds, that we receive it in our hearts, and that we are ready to be obedient to live it out with our hands and feet. 
Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you or beside you that they would hear from the Lord this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message this morning, I'm fitting and keeping with our theme of holy light for the series for Advent is the light of peace. Tim read a passage of scripture from Psalm 85. This is verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, the godly ones, but let them not turn back to folly. David says in this psalm that God will speak peace. Well, later on in the New Testament, in the 14th chapter of John, John uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to his people, his disciples. Now, the context about this particular time of when Jesus is speaking is that the next day Jesus is going to be crucified. There's all kinds of chaos. There's all kinds of turmoil going on around Jesus. And some of his greatest words of encouragement come at this particular context in Jesus' life. And listen to what he says to the disciples and ultimately to us in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. He says, These things, Jesus is talking, I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, so you see the Trinity there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all there, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And what did he say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Not, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now there's three different aspects of peace that I want to look at this morning, and it's having peace with God, having the peace of God, and then living out the spirit of peace in our daily lives. First, having peace with God. Think about this phrase, this powerful underlying theme of the Bible, peace with God. The word's used over 400 times in Scripture. In fact, every one of Paul's letter either begins or ends with this phrase, grace and peace to you. Every one of the churches he writes to, he encourages peace. Now, remember what Jesus is going through when he's talking to his disciples. He's about to be crucified. He's been betrayed. People have uh, made up stuff about him. He's not been understood. And crucifixion is the next day, and he's sailing, telling his disciples, my peace I give to you. Now, it's an interesting concept because the world is full of rebellion. There's craziness. There's chaos. There's poverty. There's dishonesty, disorder. All this is going on. And in the middle of all that, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Jesus is talking to them about two different uh, things going on. One, he's saying, the world is crazy. And I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the, the brunt of it for them. I'm getting ready to be crucified. The world's crazy, and I'm going to die. And in the midst of those two things, you can have peace. My peace, I, live, I leave with you. Now, let me just ask a, a quick question. Do we live in a crazy world? So Jesus not only is talking to the disciples, he's talking to us. In the midst of the craziness that we experience in our world, Jesus says to us, you can have peace. And to the disciples, I can almost picture Jesus looking at the disciples with this question look on their face going, what are you talking about? How is that possible? Isaiah had prophesied that this peace was going to be a person. He was the prince of peace. But in light of all that, how is that going to happen? We have peace in and because of Jesus. 
Now, I want to make a point about this, and it, it kind of splits point one and two, that we can have peace with God, and then I want to talk about the peace of God. Think about this phrase just for a second. Peace with God. Now, don't think of it as an abstract idea. Think about it as you personally. And the question I want you to ask yourself this morning is, do I have peace with God? Don't go too fast over that that question. It's a big point in the Christmas story. Do I have peace with God? I, I don't know if there's a more commanding thought out there. When you really stop to think about it, and you really embrace that thought, peace with God, it is life-changing. Do I have peace with God? Questions in your mind come up, how do I know? Is it possible? If yes, how is that possible? Jesus secured, established, and made possible our peace with God by his coming to earth for the purpose of going to the cross. Ed Cash sings a song about the mission of Jesus, and it's a Christmas song. He was born to bleed. Now, it's awkward for us to think of a baby Jesus, but the whole whole idea of baby Jesus is to go to the cross. Why? So that you and I can have peace with God. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, and we need to celebrate God with us, but the reason he's with us is that he goes to the cross so that we can have peace with God. Now, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter chapter 40, uh, I mean, uh, Leviticus chapter 3, and then verse, in cha- Psalm 40, it, it talks about the priests having these, these rituals where they would present a peace offering. And if you want a really good study, go to Leviticus chapter 3. And I know some of you are going, yeah, that sounds wonderful, Leviticus chapter 3. But if you go to Leviticus chapter 3 and you start looking at how the priest picked the unblemished lamb. Why? For the peace of the people. It's the parallel of what Jesus did for us. The unblemished lamb became the sacrifice so that we could have peace with God. Why do we need peace with God? Because all the words that describe us in Scripture prior to Jesus coming to give us peace are words like alienated, outcast, separated, distant, far away. And because of Jesus, we now can be brought to peace with God. There's a Hebrew word for peace in the Old Testament called shalom. In Genesis chapter 2, if you remember in the creation, there was shalom in the garden. Adam and Eve had shalom. It has wonderful attributes. Listen to how this shalom plays out completeness, soundness of mind. How many of you need soundness of mind? Or you know of people who need soundness of mind? Soundness of mind. All this is in the garden, shalom. Welfare, prosperity, health, tranquility, contentment, a cease from chaos and striving, shalom. Adam and Eve had perfect harmony and shalom with God. But then something happened in chapter 3. 
sin entered the world, and all shalom was destroyed. All the completeness that we had, all the security that we had, all the definition of who I am, all of it's destroyed. Our harmony, our wholeness, completeness, sin entered the world, shalom was broken. And questions had to be coming into Adam and Eve's mind after this shalom was broken. Questions that I hear in our culture and maybe even our churches today. These anxious thoughts, this, this nervousness, this unsettledness, this, these questions about who am I? Whose am I? Where's my security? Where's my settledness? Peace with God was broken. And the question, the major question that needs to surface is, could it be, can it be fixed? And God says, yes. The way it's fixed, the way you have peace with me restored is through Jesus. Jesus came to bring alienated, shameful, sinful mankind back into peace with God. That's why he came at Christmas. Through his death on the cross is how he does that. And so think about it. When you and I submitted to Christ, when you and I confessed our sins, when you and I repented and agreed with God about who he says I am and who he says I can be, at that moment, we were given peace with God. Not based on the works that I did and not based on the bad works that I didn't do, but because of the work Jesus did. I, you, can have peace with God. Think about that. He has every right to not want to have peace with us. But through Jesus, out of his love and compassion, he says, I want you to have peace with me. And here's how. Through Jesus. So I ask you again, do you have peace with Jesus? Do you have peace with God? Psalm 8510, I love the verse, loving kindness and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. Romans 5 1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through what? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Colossians 1, 19 through 22. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And though God and through uh, him, God reconciled everything to himself. Listen, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God, you who were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's where you can either dance, you can shout, you can whatever. Because of Jesus, I, you can have peace with God. Ultimate peace with God is only through our surrender to Jesus. That's why Isaiah rightly calls him the Prince of Peace. And think about this. Through Christ, all the shalom of the garden is restored. Our wholeness our completeness, our security, our safety, our, our, our well-being, our tranquil minds, all of it's restored through Jesus. 
So when we look at Jesus at Christmas, we have to recognize that at his birth, the plan was his death so that the peace of God can be made possible. In your heart right now, there's one of two responses. It's Adam and Eve's response after the fall, or it's peace with God. It's a response of, I'm not sure, there's unsettledness, there's a nervousness, or there is a, thank you, Jesus. So the question again, do you have peace with God? There's also another aspect of peace that's having the peace of God. I love what Matthew Henry wrote, scholar and commentary. He said this, when Christ died, he left a will in which he gave his soul to his father, his body to Joseph of Arimathea, his clothes to the soldiers, his mother to John, but to his disciples who who had left all to follow him, he left not silver or gold, but something far better, his peace. There is a vertical peace that we can have with God, and then there's also this horizontal peace that we can have that exhibits the peace of God in our lives. But here's the key. You can't experience the peace of God until you've experienced the peace with God. Does that make sense? You can't experience the peace of God until you have experienced peace with God. Uh, But the fact remains that none of us None of us sitting in this room are immune to threats of our peace. Uh, There is all kinds of things, whether you're a full-time pastor or a full-time anything else, we are all have threats to our peace. We can have peace with God, but we're still in a chaotic world. And we're still called to present the peace of God in that chaotic world. Not only is there a chaotic world out there, sometimes there's a chaotic world in here. Right? The disruptions, the the self-talk, all all the things that bombard our minds that leaves us struggling to have the peace of God. And and sometimes I think, you know, God, how do you expect me to have the peace of God? Do do you really know the people I live with? (laughs) Anybody else have those kind of questions? Do, Do you know who I'm working with? Have you seen my kids? And so we begin to think, how in the world does the peace with God transfer to the peace of God in our lives? How is that even possible? Where do we draw it from? Experiencing peace comes from abiding in Jesus. John 15, 5, I am the vine. Jesus is talking. You are the branches. He who abides in me, capital M, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We've come to have peace when we have spent intentional time with Jesus. When we submit our ways to his ways, when our thoughts to his thoughts, when we understand what he wants us to do in the Bible. There's an interesting word for the word peace in the New Testament. It's arane, and it means to, to bind together, to weave together. And I thought about this week. Got a little bit on a rabbit trail about the hydrogen bomb. And I started thinking about the hydrogen bomb. And it's 10 times, could be up to 10 times more powerful than the atomic bomb, which is what we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in World War II. And here's the, uh, the interesting thing about a hydrogen bomb. The hydrogen bomb uh, relies on fusion. 
the process of taking two separate atoms and putting them together to form a new and separate form. It kind of reminds me of my relationship with Jesus. The old self, Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, the new self. And I'm bound with him. I'm fused together with Jesus. Kind of like a hydrogen bomb. But just like a hydrogen bomb, which again is a lot more powerful than the atomic bomb. When that fusion separates, the amount of powerful chaos can be damaging and harmful to a lot of people. Do you get what I'm saying? So when we are not bound and fused together with Jesus, our, our peace is lost. And other people can feel the benefits of that. That's why Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide, 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 abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We gain perspective when we spend time with Jesus. Apart from Christ, we cannot. It's an ongoing abiding. Even in the midst of our situations. I read this this week. The God who has our salvation is the same God who has our situations. And the same God who gave us peace will be the one to sustain our peace as we abide with him, as we face all kinds of trials, as we face all kinds of difficult people and relationships. Most of you can quote this verse from Romans chapter 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for those who love God, called according to his purpose. That's not just a bumper sticker or a nice poster. That is a theological truth we hang on to. One author put it this way, most times our problem is not that he's unable to give us peace, but that we're unwilling to trust him. Paul says in Colossians 3, chapter 15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Steve spoke on that this past week in the men's Bible study, and the word rule here, it has the word picture of an umpire. That God gets to call the shots. God gets to dictate and how do we know what he's dictating? It's when we spend time with him. When we're bound to him. In Jesus, we have peace. It reminds me of another illustration, and this is his boat anchor. And for the analogy, for this illustration, uh, the anchor, of course, is Jesus and the boat is us. Now, in order for an anchor to, to, to work, two things have to happen. One is that you have to slow down long enough to drop the anchor. We call it set the anchor. I don't know if you've been going down uh, the May River or Calabogie at 100 miles an hour or fast, and you try to drop anchor. Doesn't work. So you've got to slow down. You've got to let the anchor drop down, all the way down. And we call it set the anchor. Let it grab hold. But there's a second thing that has to happen, is that the rope of the anchor has to be tied to the boat. I've talked to a couple of people this week that they've thrown the anchor out in the water, the, the, the thing just goes straight down. Anchor doesn't work that way either. Has to be tied to the boat. Bound to the boat. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. As we're bound to Jesus, he is our anchor that gives us peace. All the winds, all the waves, all the storm can be on top, but if the anchor is set at the bottom, 
and it's tied to us, Jesus says we will have peace. Remember John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus is talking, he says this, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Let me, let me ask you this. Is the first part of John chapter 16, verse 33 part true? I have told you this so that all of you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Anybody here have many trials and sorrows? I think if you're breathing, you have trials and sorrows. So if we can agree that that first part of 33 is true, then we can also agree that the second part is true, that if we take heart in Jesus, because he's overcome the world. Jesus was talking to his disciples and all believers that life will bring storms. People are going to be heavy winds in your life. Situations are going to come. Circumstances are going to come. All of it can blow around us. But one author said it this way, when a believer learns to walk and rest in the presence of Jesus in their life, the surface does not dictate their peace. That's why Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Which leads us to our last point, living in the peace of Jesus. Romans 12, 18 says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. When I was in the first, second, third, fourth grade, I went to Risen Christ Lutheran School. I loved it. Every week we had this thing called chapel. I don't remember what day it was, but every week we'd go in there and have chapel. And there was a little white songbook, and I think it was page 125. We sang it just about every week we went in there, and it was a song called Let There Be Peace on Earth. How many of you know that song, Let There Be Peace on Earth? If you don't know it, go to Google or YouTube and, and, and listen to it. Here are the lyrics to that song. Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be. With God as our Father, brothers all are we. Let me walk with my brother in perfect harmony. Let peace begin with me. Let this be the moment now. With every step I take, let this be my solemn vow. To take each moment and live each moment in peace eternally. Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. See, at the very beginning, I talked about peace being this abstract kind of good idea. But Jesus has other plans for it than be just an idea. He says, let peace begin with you. Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians 3.16 says this, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. The question I started wrestling with God is, is, God, how am I supposed to have peace with everyone? At all times? In all situations? Like, really? What about disagreements I have with people? What if they don't understand me? What if I don't think like them? More importantly, God, what if they don't think it's right like I think? How am I supposed to have peace in all situations, with all people, at all times? Does anybody else have a problem with that? Does that? What about living with peace with people who have a different political opinion than I do? 
It's starting to get real, isn't it? <laughs> what about living with people who have a different theological view than I do? What about people who think I need to do certain things in the Bible the way they think I need to do them in the Bible and not how I think I need to do them in the Bible? Even those people, God? Yep. If possible, so far as it depends on you, not them, you, be at peace with all men. The dominant theme behind Romans chapter 12, what Paul's talking about here, is sacrificial love. And how a believer expresses sacrificial love dictates how they're going to experience peace. What does Matthew say about peace and peacemakers? He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. James 3.18, plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. It's the parallel of Psalm 85. Uh, righteousness and peace come together and kiss. Remember when Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're, they're, they're kind of talking amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest? What does he tell them? Would you guys live at peace with one another? So I'm not talking necessarily about people out there living at peace with. I'm talking about people in here brothers and sisters in Christ, living at peace with them and how Jesus wants us to do that. O over and over through scriptures, a lot of scriptures, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God who of, of love and peace will be with you. Romans 14, 9, Paul encourages us, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Psalm 34, 14, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. How well are we doing at seeking peace? I think I can conclude, based on the 400 times it's mentioned in Scripture, and these verses alone, that I think it's a pretty high priority on God's list for us to live at peace with one another. And some of you are saying, well, I, I'll maybe... I don't know if I have what it takes. Well, let me just tell you this. As a believer, you have what it takes. And how do I know that? Because when you became a believer, you were given what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit says love, joy, peace. You have it. You have it. And so, as a believer, peace is not only our gift, but a command. How do we experience peace with people? Romans 12, 16, we let go of our pride. How do we experience the peace of God with people? By choosing to forgive one another. Luke 6, 37, Ephesians 4, 32, Colossians 3, 13. How do we experience the peace with other people? By dying to our selfish wants and needs. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. <coughs> In my life, I've experienced an absence of peace, not with God, that never goes away after I surrender my life to him. But the peace of God and living in peace with other people, it can go missing. And in my life, sometimes I have to step back and, and see what's going on. And a lot of times it falls into three categories for me. When peace goes missing in my life, I have to first say, God, is there sin in my life? Uh, the second thing is, is there unbelief? God, do I, do I not believe that you really know what's going on? 
Do you not really see everything? Do you not really understand how I'm feeling? Do I not believe that you're good? And what happens in unbelief is that after we have unbelief, then fear comes in. Where does the fear come from? Because the fear comes in because we begin, we got to figure it out all on our own. That we've got to figure out how to do this, maintain this peace thing, and control everything. So unbelief happens in the third way. I lose peace. The experience of peace is through worry. Paul gave this instruction to the church at Philippi. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And why do we pray? Why does Paul say that? Verse 7, because the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we don't worry. And here's what's really interesting. Maybe this has happened to you. That as we live in peace with other people, other people will notice our peace. And they'll say, why do you have such peace? How are you able to live that? And we can honestly and unequivocally say, listen, it is not me. It is Christ in me. And you can have it too. It comes from my peace with God. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's all kinds of substitutes for peace in our world. All kinds of things that the world's offering, but none of them satisfy. If you have a question, uh, just go to the grocery aisle. See all the articles. How many of you like imposters? I got on another sidetrack this week, too, when I started looking up this word imitation, and the only thing that kept coming back to my mind was imitation crab meat. And I started thinking, what is that stuff? <laughs> so I looked it up. And here's the ingredients. You ready? Imitation crab meat is made from fish flesh that has been deboned, minced into a paste, and mixed with other ingredients, then pressed and shaped into what looks like and mimics crab meat. It's been called the hot dog of the sea. And here, here's the real kicker. It has no real crab meat in it. John 20, 14, 27 says this. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. What kind of, what kind of peace does the world try to give us? Imposters, imitations, with not one bit of Jesus in it. It's not going to satisfy us. You know, you go to the grocery lines and you see all those how-to articles and all the different magazines, how to, how to stay rich, how not to lose your wealth, how to keep your man, how to not lose your woman, all these, all these things. And here's the truth about it. Even if you followed every single advice of all that to a T, you're still going to be empty of peace. None of it can satisfy but Jesus. None of it can satisfy but Jesus. All those articles, all those how-tos, all they're trying to sell you is imitation peace. But peace is more than we can see with our eyes, touch with our hands, or attain through performance. Peace is not anything we can own. Peace is from someone who owns us. 
I want to close with some questions. The first one is the most important question. If you don't hear the other three questions, don't worry about it. Answer this one. Do you have peace with God? This is a yes or no question. It's like, I don't, it's not one of those. It's a yes or no question. Do I have peace with God? I've used this illustration a number of times, 25, 30 years with kids. I used it in Kenya just a few weeks ago, and I'll use it again this morning. If you were to stand toe-to-toe, knee-to-knee, and face-to-face with Jesus, what is present? Is it Adam and Eve in the garden, like this anxious, who am I, I don't know, this unsettledness, uh, what am I supposed to respond? Or is it, Thank you, God, for Jesus, who gives me his peace. Because of his work on the cross, not because of my good works, but because of his one work. Do you have peace with Jesus? Do you have peace with God? There would be nothing more that I would love to talk to you about than you having peace with God before you leave this morning. Tis the season. The second question for the rest of us is, does your life exhibit the peace of God? Do people see you as settled and confident? It doesn't mean that you don't have trials and tribulations and hard times and hard people, but do they see you as settled and confident? Because your anchor is attached to the boat. That you're abiding with Jesus. You're seeing his perspective in life. Are you pursuing and resting in a peace not connected to Jesus? Are, are you giving in to some imitations and impostures, uh, things that you think are going to fulfill you but really are leaving you empty? Confess them. Get rid of them. Grab the real deal. Jesus. And the last question is this. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to make you an instrument of his peace? Many of you have heard the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi who says, Make me an instrument of your peace. You know, I watch Larry Perry go up here with this saxophone who plays it masterfully. But you know, the saxophone does nothing. It's Larry blowing into the saxophone that gives us the beautiful music. So the idea is that God would use us to blow his peace into us, that we would be a beautiful music of peace to the world. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Let me pray for us. God, thank you again for this morning. I thank you for the promise and the person of peace, Jesus. I thank you for the angel's announcement in Luke chapter 2, and suddenly there appeared with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he's pleased. God, I pray this morning, if there is one person here either present with us or watching online, and they cannot confidently say, I have peace with God through Jesus. Would this be the morning for them? God, grant them courage. Help them understand that your invitation is available to them to come, all who are weary, that you'll find rest with Jesus. And God, for the rest of us, I pray that you would help us understand how to live with the peace of God in our lives with other people. We trust you with the results of that. In Jesus' name, amen.